Like for real though. Yeah, we appreciate you guys playing for us on this cold day. We appreciate you all being here. Uh, Happy New Year to you all. Um, can I still say Happy New Year? What is the year? It's like seven days old already. Is it still new? Yeah, it's still new. Very new, very new. So Happy New Year to you all. It's a new year. We're starting out the new year with a new message series. And for those of you who are new to Hope Community Church, this is basically what we do. I don't know if there's anything we do that's, that's particularly normal or routine. Um, but this is, this is basically kind of a routine we do. We, we preach or we teach or we give these sermons, these messages in a series. And so for a few weeks in a row, we'll talk about a topic until... Um, done talking about it or you're done hearing about it. And so that's what we're doing today. And so if you look at the back of your bulletin, you can see what we're starting today. We're calling this series Beyond Right and Wrong. And then you've got a list of dates and the three-part series and the different message titles and what we're going to be talking about and not a whole lot of information, but hopefully an idea of where we're going with this. And so uh, we're talking about these terms, right, right and wrong and what we mean by this. Uh, Let me clarify something up front just so you know where we're heading. Um, The first title that I had for this message series was Forget About Right and Wrong, but I thought that would be too uh, incendiary and have too many questions and kind of push back on that. Um, I got to address what we believe as a church about right and wrong. And I know this is like super controversial, but I'm going to tell you anyway what this church believes about right and wrong. We believe that there is such a thing as right and wrong, okay? Just to clarify that. Uh, We live in a world where there are a lot of people who have this kind of loosey-goosey view of right and wrong, like what's right for you is right for you, and what's wrong for you is wrong for you, and maybe what's right for you isn't right for the other person. And so we have this kind of relative view of right and wrong. Well, we here at Hope Community Church, we don't believe in that. We believe that these things are absolutes, that there is such a thing as absolute right and absolute wrong, and these things are well-defined. Here's another thing that we believe about right and wrong. We believe that we don't have the ability to determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. We don't have that ability to make that, those decisions. We don't have a broad enough perspective. We're not smart enough. We don't know how to make these decisions. So we don't get to determine what's right and what's wrong. And I feel like that's an important thing to clarify because so many people who are followers of Jesus... We kind of put ourselves in that place of authority where it's like, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, so I basically know what Jesus would want, so I'm going to decide what's right and what's wrong. Well, we believe that we don't have the authority to make that decision. We don't have the ability to make those decisions and those determinations, and we don't have the authority. And so we believe, again, I, this is, I know you're, you're just so surprised by this at a church, but we believe that there is only one who can make these determinations, what is right, what is wrong. And the only one who can make those determinations is God himself. God is the creator. He knows all. He sees all. He has a limitless perspective. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. He's the only one who has the ability and the authority to make those determinations. What is right and what is wrong? And so just to clarify, that's what we believe about wrong. If you've spent enough time with us at Hope Community Church, you've probably heard me talk about boundaries. And so the way that we talk about God's standards for what is right and what is wrong, and the way that we often talk about this whole issue of sin and how does God view sin and what's sin all about, well, we talk about it in terms of boundaries. Does that sound familiar to some of you who have been here for a while? We talk about boundaries, how God has established these boundaries for us, right? 
I've heard some people talk about this as God's circle of blessing, right? And so God has given us these boundaries. You stay inside the boundaries. You stay inside the circle. God has given this, this list of right things that we must do, this list of wrong things that we can't do. But really, if you think about it in terms of a circle or boundaries, we're supposed to live within these boundaries. And so when we step outside of those boundaries, bad stuff can happen, dangerous things can happen, so we want to stay inside of those boundaries. And so God gives us this list of things. He tells us, thou shalt and thou shalt not, but it's for our own benefit. And that in and of itself is kind of a radical belief, you know, among certain people. Like, whoa, God actually wants what's best for us? Yes, that's what we believe about God. The God that we meet in the pages of this book, the God that we meet in Scripture, He cares about you, and He wants what's best for you, and He wants what's best for me, and He wants what's best for us as a collective, as the human race. And so He's given us these boundaries to live within. The problem is sometimes we can be a little too legalistic, maybe, in how we think about right and wrong. We can be a little bit too, I don't know, programmatic in how we think about right and wrong. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, just, uh, just this past Friday, I was at a uh, little mini men's retreat. Um, it's a long story. Somehow I end up in these weird situations. Anyway, I was in this little mini men's retreat, and uh, guys were going around the room, and we were telling our story, basically. We are telling our stories about how we met Jesus and how we began this journey with Jesus and, and how we first got saved, if I can use that terminology. And so I was telling my story, and I was going back, um, and my story is long, and my story is messy, and, and, and most people that I've talked to have a similar kind of thing going on, right? We all have these stories that are kind of messy. Those of us who are trying to follow Jesus, it's not as if you had one big life-changing moment and that was all settled. It's more like a journey, right? And so I was talking about my story, and so you've got these significant moments, these significant points in your story, and so I was talking about a time where, where I made things official with Jesus, right? And so I was 11 years old, and some guy named Billy Graham came through town. You may have heard of him. And he had these big crusades. And this is back in the day when Vet Stadium existed. Do you remember Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia? So we went there, and uh, he gave a talk, and he explained this gospel message. And, of course, the gospel message, and, and maybe you know this and maybe you know pieces of it, uh, but the gospel message is what God has done for us, that God sent Jesus into this world, his one and only son, to be our Savior. That Jesus did this thing for us, this mysterious, wonderful, overwhelmingly amazing thing. He's, God sent his son into this world, and Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so whoever believes that, whoever accepts that, can receive eternal life. And so Billy Graham unpacked that message, and I wanted to officially say yes to Jesus. I wanted to officially accept salvation. And so at the end, and Billy Graham often does this, it's called an altar call kind of a thing. Have you been in churches where they do an altar call? And we don't really have an altar, and they didn't have one at Bet Stadium either. But they did an altar call, and what you could do is you could walk down on the field and meet with a prayer counselor. And so I thought, well, this is going to be kind of cool. Like, I want to officially say yes to Jesus. I really think it'd be cool to get down on the field where the Phillies play. So let's do this, right, two for one. And so I went down on the field, prayed with a counselor. It was weird. Um, this is a full-grown man, and he started crying. And I'm like, why is there a dude crying? Why is this such a big deal? This is just like a thing. But um, apparently it was a big deal. And so I didn't know quite what I was signing up for. And that's basically how following Jesus works, always has. I don't know quite exactly what I'm signing up for, but I'm saying yes, right? 
And so that happened, and so we end our conversation, and I'm 11 years old, and he gives me out. I just, I just took this out. I just found this book the other day. He gave me a Gospel of John, and it had a little reading plan where you check off the boxes. I made it to like day seven of reading, then I was like, I forget this. Um, but anyway, he gives me a Gospel of John. But then after this happened, I felt like, okay, something official has happened. I'm like a legit Christian now, right? And I was probably already saved before, and I probably already, but it's, this, this felt more official. I mean, this was a big event. This is official. I got to do better now. That's how I felt. I got to do better. And so I had this idea of there was this list of right things that I was supposed to do and a list of wrong things that I wasn't supposed to do. And I felt like I got to stop doing these wrong things now. I'm legit. And I know there are people in this room who felt the same way. Okay, if I'm going to take this whole faith thing seriously, if I'm going to walk with Jesus, journey with Jesus, be a Christian, however you want to describe it, if I'm going to take this seriously, i got to stop doing wrong stuff. And so as an 11-year-old boy, the thing that weighed heavy on my heart, my wrong behavior, my bad behavior is I was a little potty mouth, Right? When I got away with my friends, we would use cuss words, and I knew I wasn't supposed to use cuss words. And so, I mean, the convictions of an 11-year-old. This is before being convicted about bigger stuff like, you know, drugs and alcohol and sexual purity and all that. This was 11 years old. That was the thing that was on my heart at that time. Oh, no, I got to stop saying cuss words. And so that became my goal. I'm going to stop doing bad things. I'm going to stop doing all the stuff in the wrong list. Do you like the wrong list? Is, I'm just miming this stuff, right? It's cheaper than buying props. This is the wrong column, okay? This is for the sake of people who are listening. They don't get to see the props anyway. They're listening online. So this is the wrong. i got to stop doing the i got to stop cussing. And so if I can make it through a day without saying a, a potty word, right, or without saying a bad word, that was a victory, right? But there's a problem with that way of thinking. There are lots of problems with that way of thinking. I mean, if that's... If that's your goal as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, or or beyond Christianity, just if that's your goal, and if you're here today and you're not sure about this whole Christianity thing, you still have a sense of what's right and what's wrong. You still have a list in your mind. But if our only goal is to avoid doing wrong stuff, that's not much of a goal. I mean, imagine, what if you're actually able to succeed in that? If you can go before God and say, God, today I didn't do any of this wrong stuff. Okay. Well, did you accomplish anything good? <laughs> did you ac- I'm, Great, I'm glad he didn't do the wrong stuff, but did you accomplish anything good? Did you accomplish anything worthwhile? Did you do anything worthwhile with your life today? Or did you just avoid doing bad stuff? See, it's not a great goal to avoid doing wrong. And also, it's kind of an overwhelming thing if we have that perspective. It's like, okay, what's the list of right stuff? I've got to check the boxes. I'm supposed to read the Bible. Okay, I'm going to check that box because I did it. I don't quite understand what, that, what I've just read, but I'm going to check that box. I'm supposed to show up at church, and so I'm going to do that on Sunday morning. I'm checking that box, and I've got to do these things. And Wait, what else am I supposed to do? Go to a small group? Uh, okay, fine, check that box. And now I'm finally earning some money. Do I, have to, do I have to give my money to the church? I've got to give like a tithe or a percentage or something. All right, fine, I'll do that. Check that box. And then there's all this wrong stuff, so I'm avoiding this. I'm trying to check all these boxes while avoiding all the wrong stuff. Ah! That's not. Ah, That's not Christianity. That's not what God wants for us. That's not what Jesus wants for us. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus unpacks this idea. In fact, he doesn't unpack it all this much. He just kind of throws it out there that he wants to give us the abundant life, the abundant life, a life worth living. 
He doesn't want us in this frantic state of uh, check, 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 check. No, 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 no. He doesn't want us living life like that. He wants something more for us. And so there's a big problem when it comes to, if we think about our faith as just, I got to check these boxes and I got to avoid all. No, that's, that's not it. That's not what Jesus wants for us. There are plenty of other problems. If we see things in just terms of being right and wrong, there are plenty of other problems that bubble up. For one thing is we can get into this whole thing of being a little too technical about what's wrong, right? And so we can push some boundaries, we can push some lines, and we can get into some behaviors and say, well, it's not technically wrong, so I'm going to go ahead and do this. You know, I've never read a verse that says, thou shalt not, so I'll go ahead and do this. And so you've got people, and you've got an individual, maybe they're in some kind of committed relationship, maybe they're engaged, maybe they're married, maybe they've been married 5, 10, 15 years, and they have a little interaction with somebody else, have a little flirty conversation, and it's just being friendly. That's all it is, right? It doesn't say, thou shalt not flirt. I mean, come on. It's part of life. You just do this, and it's not technically wrong, so I'm going to go ahead and do this behavior. Here's another thing we should know. A lot of things that we don't consider technically wrong are wrong (laughs) in God's eyes. But we do this whole technical thing where it's like, hey, you do this thing, and again, you're in this committed relationship, you're married 5, 10, 15, 20 years, then all of a sudden, you get a Facebook friend request from that person from your past, that old flame, that old crush you had. Oh, I wonder what she's up to, too. I wonder what he's up to. They reach out to you, and they're, okay, I wonder. It's curious. Maybe I'll go ahead and accept that friend request. Bob doesn't say, thou shalt not accept friend requests from your old girlfriends and boyfriends. Doesn't say that, right? So, I mean, technically, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm making friends, right? I'm making inroads. Isn't that what Jesus would want me to do? I got to pause and tell you a personal story here. So Holly and I, months ago, we're talking about this very thing. Uh, Holly's my wife, by the way. So we were talking about this very thing about how, you know, people can mess up over social media and connect with people they really shouldn't be connected with. We're having a conversation about some boundaries that, that we've set up together as a couple. You know, we don't accept friend requests from people from our past like that. And so we're having a conversation. She leaves the room for less than a minute. And during that minute, my phone goes off. I got a friend request. I was like, you've got to be kidding me from somebody from my past. And before I could press decline, I was like, well, wait a minute. What if she needs my help? What if I could, like, build her up? What if she needs Jesus? What if I, I was like, wait, what am I thinking? Decline, decline, decline. And then Holly came back, like, less than 60 seconds. And then Holly came back in there and was like, you'll never believe what happened, Right? And so I don't know what her deal is, and I don't, it's not my business. It's not mine to care about. Somebody else can help her if she needs help, right? But sometimes we convince ourselves that doing these things, well, it's not technically wrong, and so I'll go ahead and say yes anyway. So, okay, plenty of examples here. What about this? We've just had Christmas. We've just had New Year's. Of course, the next big holiday is tax return day, right, when you get your tax return, Okay. A lot of people are looking, we're clapping about that, we're excited about that, it's when the government gives some of your money back to you, that's awesome, okay, we're looking forward to that. What do you do with that tax return, right? I'm looking forward to it too, I'm I'm with you, right? What do you do with that? Oh, I got this money now, what should I do with it? I mean, maybe I could, maybe I could give it away, or like some of it away, you know, I've heard about these good causes out there, and I've heard about Start With One Kenya, and our church talks about Start With One Kenya, so maybe I should give this money to Start With One Kenya because they're literally saving people's lives. And I could buy a water filter for 30 bucks, and I could save a family. Like, maybe I should 
give this money to them, or at least a portion, I could do that. Or, you know, I could pay off some of my debts, especially around the Christmas time. I got my credit card thing. You know, maybe I, maybe I could save some of this money. Maybe I could put it into my retirement or put it into this. Or maybe I could go shopping, right? Maybe I could do that. It doesn't say thou shalt not shop. It's not technically wrong to go shopping, right? I remember, I was just reminded of this, years ago, one of our former presidents, doesn't matter who, actually in his speech encouraged people, American people should go shopping, right? He said that. that. That impression was vague enough. You don't know who that was, right? He encouraged people to go shopping. And my dad, I don't think he would mind if I told this story. He went shopping. <laughs> he bought a TV and he said, I'm helping the economy, right? <laughs> I mean, you, the president is commanding us to go shopping. We're helping America. It's patriotic. doesn't say thou shalt not shop. Okay. If we're going to think about it that technically and that legalistically, we fall into these traps. There's more problems with thinking about things just in terms of strictly right and wrong. How about this? This is something we Christians do. Oh, boy, oh, boy. We've got our list of wrong here. But we also know that God loves us. We also know that we cannot do anything, that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. And so, so, many, so many of us have this attitude of whatever I do, God's going to love me, and I'm just going to count on this. And when, even if I do stuff that's wrong, even if I knowingly enter into behaviors that are wrong, I know I'm going to be forgiven. I mean, I heard that at church. I heard some pastors say that God loves me and that he's quick to forgive and all that. And so I'm going to go ahead. I know these things are on the do not do list. I know these things are on the wrong list, but I'm going to do them anyway because I'm still saved and God's going to forgive me. 100% of us are guilty of this, okay? Is that? Yeah, we're all guilty of this. Let's take a time out just to acknowledge that. This is being human. This is struggling through this. But to have that attitude of whatever I do, I know I'm going to be forgiven. This is problematic because in reading the Bible, I'm not so sure that that thinking is accurate, that God is somehow always on the hook to forgive that God is somehow always on the hook to, to cancel out our sins and cancel out our debts. And let me describe what I mean by that. Yes, God does love you no matter what. Yes, he does desire forgiveness, but there's things that need to happen inside of us before we can be forgiven. One of those things is confession. And a lot of us Christians, we, we just skip that part. I'm just going to do this bad thing. I'm not even going to acknowledge it. I'm just going to know that I'm forgiven. And that's, hmm, well, there's got to be confession. But then beyond that, there has to be this thing of, of true, heart-level repentance. This thing of saying, oh man, I've done something on the do-not-do list. I've done something on the wrong list. I've engaged in a behavior that I know is on God's list of stuff I'm not supposed to do. And I feel a certain way about it. I'm regretful. And I don't want to do that kind of thing anymore. I'm not going to keep on doing it. I don't want to do that kind of thing anymore, and I don't want to be this kind of person anymore who engages in behavior like that. I want to change at a heart level. When we bring that to God, he is ready to forgive and restore and redeem. But he's not on the hook to automatically forgive no matter what, okay? And that's just how that works. And so you see all the problems we have when we think about things strictly in these terms of right and wrong. So what I'd like for us to do is come up with some alternative terms, all right? Let's swap out the term wrong. Let's swap out the term right. Let's start talking about other words that we could use that might help us in our attitude, that might help us in our thinking, okay? What about instead of the word wrong, 
What if we use the word dangerous? Dangerous. Because here's the thing, you can enter into some behaviors and you say, well, it's not technically wrong. Yeah, but is it dangerous? Well, yeah, I'm going to accept this Facebook friend request. I'm going to have this little conversation because it's not technically. Yeah, but is there the potential for danger? And if there's danger, if it's dangerous, I don't want to do it. Do we want to engage in, in dangerous behavior? No. And so what if instead of wrong, we thought of these, these behaviors as being dangerous? You know, again, we go back to this idea of God has these boundaries for us for our own sake. And so what if it's, let's not say wrong, let's say it's dangerous. What about this? Instead of wrong, what if we use the word unhealthy? Unhealthy, right? We live in a very weird culture where it's like on the one hand, there's such problems. We have such health issues and heart disease and all these things are on the rise and so many. But at the same time, we're very health conscious, and not just our physical health, but like our emotional well-being, our mental well-being, our spiritual well-being. We think, we talk about these things, there are articles about these things all the time. It's a weird kind of culture we live in. But what if we thought about, instead of thinking about something as being wrong, what if we thought of it as being unhealthy? Well, this is an unhealthy behavior. And maybe it's not wrong for me to spend eight hours a day watching TV, but is that healthy behavior? Or maybe it's not wrong for me to be on my phone 23 hours a day. <laughs> maybe that's not technically wrong, but is that a healthy behavior? for your spirit, for your mind, for your body. If you go to bed and this little part of your hand is sore right there, you're on your phone too much, right? It's not healthy. It's not healthy for your mind. It's not healthy for your body, you know? And so if we thought about it, instead of thinking about, well, just strictly right and wrong and all this, and I can't find a verse against it, so I'm going to, uh, let's not think about that. What if we just thought about it as being unhealthy? What if we use the word detrimental, right? It's another word. Forget about wrong. Let's say detrimental. You know, we all have these goals in our lives. Some of our goals are very specific. Some of our goals are a little bit wishy-washy. But we've got an idea of where we want to go in life, of what we want to do, of what we want to accomplish, of what we want to accomplish in this day, what we want to accomplish professionally or relationally, whatever it is. And what if we said, well, you know, I'm not going to engage in behaviors that are going to be detrimental, that are going to knock me off my course, that are going to knock me off the track that I want to be on. I'm not going to do those things. What if we use the word unwise? Now, that's, never mind. Let's, let's just say it's foolish, okay? Unwise is the polite way of saying foolish. You know, it's a new year, New Year's resolution. Let's stop being so polite, right, okay? Foolish. What if we said, I don't want to engage, forget about wrong, I don't want to engage in foolish behavior. I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to do stuff that's going to, you know, make me less trustworthy, make me less reliable, that's going to take me steps back professionally, that's going to take me steps back relationally, that's going to knock my marriage off course, that's going to knock my, I don't want to be a fool, We've all been fools. We've all been foolish. I mean, nobody's above this stuff, okay? Oh, I got to address this thing because sometimes, sometimes as we're listening to messages like this, we start to think of all the other people in our lives that are guilty of this kind of thing. We're all guilty of this kind of thinking, okay? And so we don't want to be fools. We don't want to engage in behavior that's detrimental or unhealthy or, or just dangerous. We don't want to do that. So, all right, instead of right, let's swap out the word right and use some other words. What about safe? What about safe? I want to do things that are safe. And I'm not talking about safe as far as comfortable. I'm not talking about safe in terms of never taking any risks. Never, no, no. I mean safe isn't protected, right? The way that you would want to protect your loved ones and the people that you care about. Protected. I want to engage in behaviors that will keep me safe and protected because that's what God wants for you. He wants you whoa, in that circle of blessing. He wants you in those boundaries where you can stay safe. That's why he's giving you the lists to begin with. He wants to keep you safe. 
So if you thought about it as, okay, I'm going to stay safe, I'm going to stay protected. If you just thought of it as healthy, I want to engage in healthy behaviors, things that are going to help me grow. And I know I've got this list and I've got, I could just check the boxes, okay, I showed up at worship, I showed up at small group, I read my Bible, blah, 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 blah. What if it's not about that? What if it's about health? I want to do things that are going to keep me emotionally and spiritually healthy. There's a guy I know, and he was, um, he was going through a season of depression. He wasn't sure what was going on. He went to his doctor, and the doctor, it was a good doctor, instead of writing a prescription, um, she talked with him and said, here's what, before we go that route, here's what I want you to do. I want you to live more mindfully. I want you to engage in community with other people. I want you to, to have a, a contemplative lifestyle. Those are the terms that she used. And so that's the and that was a secular, totally secular doctor, totally secular advice. But that's the same kind of stuff we talk about in context of church. What's healthy for us? This is a healthy experience to gather together, to stand up and sing these songs together, to listen to God's word together. This is healthy. Reading your Bible is healthy. Engaging in community and small group is healthy. Well, let's, let's pursue healthy behaviors instead of instead of right let's say beneficial these are the things that are going to help me get to that next place in life these are the behaviors that are going to help me achieve my goals in life right instead of right what if we just said wise i want to live wisely i want to be wise i want to make wise decisions truly wise decisions for my own sake for the sake of my family for the sake of my church for the sake of my community for the sake of the people in my circle of influence for the people in my life i want to be a source of wisdom i want to make wise choices that won't lead me to distress and debt and anger and confusion and all i want to make wise choices with my finances with my love life with my profession in every arena of life i want to make wise decisions what if that's what we were pursuing instead of checking boxes okay i'm doing the right thing right thing right thing right no pursuing wisdom what's the bible passage say that lori read for us take a look at that in your bulletin it's from the book of proverbs most of the book of proverbs was written by the wisest man who ever lived other than christ himself jesus credits solomon solomon jesus credits solomon for being the wisest man to have lived and this is what Solomon says, and he's talking about wisdom, and he personifies wisdom, right? He personifies wisdom, so this is figurative language, and this is how Solomon describes wisdom. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out at the city gates. She makes her speech. How long Will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke, then I will pour my thoughts out to you. I will make known to you my teachings. In other words, Solomon is saying wisdom is not hard to find if you're willing to listen to her voice. In the public square, she cries out. In Solomon's day, there was such a thing as a public square. And you'd hear voices shouting. You'd hear people saying this or people trying to sell you something or people trying to you know, give you their philosophy. And, and in the midst of all those voices, there's wisdom calling out. She's speaking loud enough that we could hear her if we're willing to listen. You know, one of my favorite books, and I... I highly recommend this, and I've talked to you about this before, is a book by Andy Stanley called The Best Question Ever. If you've never read it, oh, it's worth a read. 
But I want to give you the gist of that whole book. And so, Andy Stanley, if you're listening online, I apologize. I'm not trying to take money out of your pocket. But uh, the gist of the book is this. The best question ever is, what is the wise thing to do? Instead of thinking, well, what's the right thing to do? Or what can I get away with? What is the wise thing to do? Considering where I am right now in my life and considering my past and considering my goals for the future, what is the wise thing to do? And here's the thing. When you ask that question and seek sincerely for the answer, it's usually, usually not hard to find. She's there. She's calling out. She's not hard to find. But here's the thing. Do not underestimate your ability to block out her voice. All of us. We've all done this. We block out the voice of wisdom. So often, if we were to honestly answer the question, what's the wise thing to do? We know the answer, but we just don't want to do it, and we don't want to know, la, 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 la. The other night, the night Holly was reading our girls, our older two, a book, and Evie didn't want to hear the book. She said, la, 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 la. She just blocked out the voice of Holly, right? Blocked out the voice of her. We do that. We can do that with wisdom. I've done it. We do it. I know what the wise thing to do is, but the wise thing isn't always the fun thing. And so, la, 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 you know? But we need to make a choice to pursue wisdom, to listen to her voice. And when we pursue wisdom, when we listen for her voice, if we're brave enough to do that, she will speak to us. And it no longer becomes about trying to, oh, i got to check all these boxes and i got to avoid all this. No, it becomes focused on pursuing wisdom. This all boils down to the thing that God wants for us. He wants us to live within these boundaries for our own sake. He wants us to live wisely. Let me read to you a couple of verses from Ephesians. This is Paul writing. This is Ephesians uh, 5, verses 15. Starting with verse 15, it says, be careful then. Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, every decision you have to make, everything that comes along. Make the most of that because the days are evil. In other words, what Paul is saying is there's no such thing as like a a moral um, neutrality in this world, right? The days are evil. And if you're not pursuing wisdom intentionally, you're not going to make wise decisions by mistake. You know what I mean? I don't know anybody who's done something wise without intentionality. Oops, I accidentally did something wise. Look at me. All right, way to go. That doesn't happen. If you just go along with the current of culture, you're not going to make wise choices. You're not. Well, everybody else is doing it. So what? Everybody else is a fool. You want to be a fool too? Don't go along with the current of culture. These days are evil. Don't live as unwise but as, as wise. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Coming back to this is, why, this is why we need to understand why God has given us these boundaries. It's for the sake of wisdom. We want to be wise. We want to be protected. We want to live in a place where we can make healthy choices. We want to pursue wisdom. I want to be wise. Do you want to be wise? I want to be wise. I want to be wise for my own sake. I don't want to end up in dangerous situations. I don't want to end up in situations that could mess up my family or mess up my career or mess up with my relationships with people in the community. I don't want to do that. I want to be wise for the sake of my family. I want them to come to me as a leader of the family, and I want to make wise decisions for our family, how we're going to use God's resources, how we're going to use God's finances, how we're going to live our lives. I want to make wise decisions for the sake of our church. I want to be wise 
You know, I've talked to our leaders and so many times. I'm sure you're sick of hearing me say this, but leadership is a burden. And a lot of that burden is making decisions. And when it comes to our church, I want to make good decisions. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I have a weird opportunity in my life where about once a week people gather together and listen to me talk at them. Did you know that about me? I've got that opportunity. And when they come here, I want to give them God's wisdom. I mean, some people, some people in this room don't think of me as the pastor, but think of me as your pastor. I've got to be the pastor of people? For your sake, I want to be wise. Don't you want to be wise? Here's the good news. It's attainable, right? There's some goals you can have in life. It's like, well, I can work for this forever, but I don't know if I'll ever be a billionaire. I don't know if I'll ever achieve this amount of fame or this amount of success and and these unattainable goals, and I'm just going to try my best. Wisdom isn't like that. Wisdom's right there. It is attainable. You can live wisely. You're not condemned to a life of foolishness. No, that's not what God wants for you. You can make wise decisions. You have that ability. But it starts with listening to her voice and acting on it. Listen to what wisdom tells us and acting on it. Wouldn't it be cool if we as a church, what if our reputation was, wow, there are a bunch of wise people that go there. I want to be wise too. I'm going to connect with that movement there, right? I don't know what that voice was, but I don't know what I was doing. But wouldn't that be great if that was part of our reputation? They're the church that cares, they're the church that loves, the church that serves, the church that's just humble, they're real. They're wise there. I think that can be part of our reputation, but we need to pursue it. We're not going to become wise accidentally. And so guess what? What you've done here today, coming out in this freezing cold weather, I think that was a wise decision. And I hope by the time that you leave today, you'll be like, you know, I'm glad I did that. I was tempted to stay home, bundle up with some cocoa, but I did something wise. All right, good. Keep going. 2018, the year of wisdom. Let's make some wise choices this year. Let's become wise so we can share wisdom with others. Let's pray on that. Father God, we acknowledge that you are the source of wisdom. Lord, you know our weaknesses. You know where we're tempted. You know where we're, where we're weak. You know where we want to compromise. You know where we want to bend your rules. You know where we want to break your rules. And so, Father God, I pray that you would challenge and convict each one of us where we need to be convicted, where we need to be challenged. We don't want to settle for less than the abundant life you want for us. We know this about you, God. You want what's best for us. So give us the courage, give us the the ability to live within your boundaries. Give us the courage to make wise decisions and help us, Lord. Help us to hear the voice of wisdom in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.